Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Death, Dying, and Tarot podcast. Today, we are going to be looking at the doctrine of eternal life as outlined in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And for that, we're going to be going through the Fool's Journey a little bit backwards than how we usually think of it. So, when we see the Fool's Journey, it usually begins as the Fool going on to meet the Magician, and then the High Priestess, and then the Empress, and the Emperor, and so on from there. Uh, But today, we have to put that whole journey in reverse, if you will, because after the Fool, we're now going to be looking at the World card, and then the Judgment card. And now, I am going to uh, try to keep this simple, and so each episode I will let you know which cards we are talking about um, and why we are talking about them, but I do urge you to investigate the topic of each episode and really try and see which card you feel it relates to from your own understanding of the tarot. And do not be afraid to change around the order a little bit from what you believe the Fool's Journey should be and start to create your own that either mirrors a journey through life or, in this case, the journey through death until reaching the afterlife. So, hopefully, you're able to have um, both the world card and the judgment card with you uh, as we go through this, but if not, that is perfectly okay because you probably already know what they look like and you'll be able to see the resemblance between the Book of the Dead, and some of the images. Now let's dive right in uh, to the doctrine of eternal life. So, we can see from the Egyptians that uh, they believed in a future life of some kind, and the doctrine of eternal existence is the leading feature of their religion, and uh, we can see this with clearness in all the periods. So whether this belief had its origins uh, at Anu, the chief city of the worship of the sun god, is not certain, but it is very probable. For already in the pyramid texts, we find the idea of everlasting life associated with the sun's existence, and Pepi is said to be the giver of life, stability, power, health, and all joy of heart, like the sun living forever. The future life was the aim of every Egyptian believer. The papyrus of Anai, the deceased, is represented as having come to a place of remote and far away where uh, there is neither air to breathe nor water to drink, right? So um, the deceased is really uh, going to that place, um, a place where he would be able to have converse with Tamu. And... In an answer to his question, the deceased asking this question, How long have I to live? The great god of Anu answers, Thou shalt exist for millions of millions of years. A period of millions of years. In the 84th chapter, the infinite duration of the past and future existence of the soul as well as its divine nature is proclaimed by Anai in the words, I am the Shu, the god of unformed matter. My soul is God. My soul is eternity. When the deceased identifies himself with Shu, he makes the period of his existence covial with that of Tum-Ra. 
and uh, Tomb Ra existed before Osiris and with the other gods of his company. And so these passages really do prove the identity of the belief in the eternal life throughout the 18th dynasty. But while we have this evidence of the Egyptian belief in eternal life, we are nowhere told that man's corruptible body will rise again. Indeed, uh, we have seen passages with the idea that the body lays in the earth while the soul or spirit would go on to live in heaven. And some of the passages read, Soul to heaven, body to earth. Thy essence is in heaven, thy body to earth. Heaven hath thy soul, earth hath thy body. There is, however, no doubt from the first to last uh, that the Egyptians firmly believed that besides the soul, there was some other element of the man that would rise again. The preservation of the corruptible body, too, was in some way connected with the life in the world to come, and its preservation was necessary to eternal life. Otherwise, the prayers recited to this end would have been futile, and the time-honored custom of mummifying the dead would have no meaning. The never-ending existence of the soul is asserted in a passage quoted uh, without reference to Osiris, but the frequent mention of the uniting of his bones and the gathering together of his members and the doing away with all corruption from his body seems to show that the pious Egyptian connected these things with the resurrection of his own body in some form, and he argued that he had been done for him, so what had been done for Osiris would also be done for mortal man. And so we kind of uh, recognize this in the last episode as well, that when going through the story of Osiris, um, the Egyptians believed that what would happen to Osiris would happen to them. So if Osiris lived, then they would live. If Osiris died, then they would die. Now, um, the physical body was called Kot, and the idea from the Egyptians was that the physical body was liable to decay. There are passages throughout the book that show the Egyptians talking about the physical body after death in terms of germinating the land. The same is said for Osiris' body, and in this way we see that the god and the deceased were on an equality. Uh, and as we can see, the physical body neither leaves the tomb nor reappears on earth, yet its preservation was necessary. So I thought that was kind of interesting because the way that we, or the way that, um, you know, it, it seems many people think about gods and, um, you know, mortal human beings today is quite separate, right? Like we recognize that we aren't the same as God. Um, and then when you kind of get into more uh, spirituality and different spiritual paths, um, many of the teachings do point to the fact that we are very similar, or that we could, in fact, be very divine ourselves. So, uh, the Egyptians believing that um, whatever happened to Osiris's body, both in its decay and in its uh, resurrection, uh, what happened to them is quite interesting. 
So, uh, and also the fact that, you know, there is no clear evidence as to what really, uh, whether the body, they believe the body itself is going to decay because they talk about it very differently uh, at different times throughout the book, whether they believe it's decaying or whether it's going to to, um, somehow come back again. But we do see with mummification that it is necessary, right? Like they are preserving the physical body for some reason. So there's also a ceremony that shows the changing of the individual's um, physical body into sahu or spiritual body. The word sahu indicates a body which has obtained a degree of knowledge and power and glory whereby it becomes henceforth lasting and incorruptible. The body which has become sahu has the power of associating with the soul and of holding converse with it. In this form, it can ascend into heaven and dwell with the gods and with the spiritual bodies of the gods and with the souls of the righteous. So that is also interesting because we can see, you know, throughout Egyptians' belief that um, gaining knowledge and wisdom and practicing magic was very important. And, you know, in the very act of practicing magic, you're acquiring vast amounts of Uh, spiritual knowledge and so by doing this really the knowledge stays with you uh, in your spiritual body. In the late edition of the Book of the Dead the deceased is said to look upon his body and to rest upon his sahu and souls are said to enter into their sahu and a passage extant both in this and the older Teban edition of the book makes the deceased to receive the sahu or spiritual body of the god of Osiris. So before we move on to talking about how the tarot cards relate, I do want to mention the Ka. In close connection with the natural and spiritual bodies stood the heart, or rather that part of it which was at the seat of the power of life and the fountain of good and evil thoughts. That's that's quite a... Um, powerful image, isn't it? The fountain of good and evil thoughts. And in addition to the natural and spiritual bodies, man also had an abstract individuality or personality endowed with his characteristic attributes. This abstract personality had an absolutely independent existence. It could move freely from one place Uh, to the next, separating itself from or uniting itself to the body at will. And also, it could enjoy life with the gods in heaven. The Ka is the double, the image, character, disposition, and mental attribute of the individual. In the remotest times, the tombs had special chambers wherein the Ka was worshipped and received offerings. The priesthood numbered among its body an order of men who bore the names of priests of the Ka, and who performed services in honor of the Ka. In the text of Unas, the deceased is said to be happy with his Ka in the next world, and his Ka is joined unto his body in the great dwelling. His body having been buried in the lowest chamber, and his Ka cometh forth to him. The Ka, as we have seen, could eat food, 
and it was necessary to provide food for it. In the 17th dynasty and in later periods, the gods are entreated to grant meat and drink to the Ka of the deceased, and it seems as if the Egyptians thought that the future welfare of the spiritual body depended upon the maintenance of a constant supply of superal offerings. When circumstances rendered it impossible to continue the material supply of food, the Ka fed upon the offerings painted on the walls of the tomb, which were transformed into sustainable nourishment by means of prayers of the living. When there were neither material offerings nor painted similitudes to feed upon, it seemed as if the Ka must have perished. But the texts are not definite on this point. Interesting as offerings are important to keep the Ka alive, if you will. And, um, you know, we can see that even today with people that practice, uh, you know, ancestral magic or have an uh, ancestor altars and they cook food uh, and represent it to their ancestors as offerings. Um, and this is why, you know, having something that is part of the um, human being, you know, the whole human being, as we're seeing there are many different parts that make up what one person is, we see that there is the double or the ka, and the ka does need to be nourished, even um, both in in the uh, physical life, right, and in after death. So the following is an excerpt of the cause petition for food. And I, I wanted to include this because I thought it was fascinating. So this is, you know, this is the Ka petitioning for food. May the gods grant that I go into and come forth from my tomb. May the majesty refresh its shade. May I drink water from my cistern every day. May all my limbs grow. May Hapi give unto me bread and flowers of all kinds in their seasons. May I pass over my estate every day without ceasing. May my soul alight upon the branches of the groves which I have planted. May I make myself cool beneath my sycamores. May I eat bread which they provide. May I have my mouth that I speak therewith like followers of Osiris and Horus. May I come forth to heaven. May I descend to earth. May I never be shut out upon the road. May there never be done unto me that which my soul abhorreth. Let not my soul be imprisoned. But may I be among the venerable and favored ones. May I plow my land in the field of Aru. May I arrive at the field of peace. May one come out to me with vessels of ale and cakes and bread of the lords of eternity. And may I receive meat from the altars of the great. I, the Ka, the prophet of Amsu. So, I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, now, uh, to the part of man which, beyond all doubt, was believed to enjoy an eternal existence in heaven in a state of glory, the Egyptians called this Ba, a word which means something like sublime or noble and which has been translated into soul. The Ba is incorporeal, 
For although it dwells in the ka, which again is the body's double, or um, it could be uh, moving forth to uh, kind of like, not the whole heart, but a, a portion of the heart, and still seems to possess some substance and form, it is in form represented by a human-headed hawk, and in nature and substance it is stated to be exceedingly refined and ethereal. So the Ba uh, revisited the body in the tomb and reanimated it and conversed with it. It could take upon itself any shape that it pleased, and it had the power of passing into heaven and dwelling there. It was eternal and the Ba was closely associated with the Ka, and it partook of the funeral offerings in one aspect of his existence at least. It was liable to decay if not properly and sufficiently nourished. So we see that both with the Ka and the Ba, that they do need to be sufficiently nourished, or they will perish. So in connection with the Ka and the Ba, we must also mention the Kaibate, or the shadow of the man, which the Egyptians regarded as part of the human economy. It is supposed to have an entirely independent existence and to be able to separate itself from the body. It was free to move wherever it pleased, and like the Ka and the Ba, it partook of the funeral offerings in the tomb, which it visited at will. So we can see from the text that the position of the shadow in relation to man was well defined so it it is there it's not something like the egyptians are talking about it as if um they're unsure of it being there uh this is something that the egyptians knows or they knew that there was a shadow part to um the human itself so in later times the shadow was also always associated with the soul and was believed to always be near it and this view is supported by a passage in the Book of the Dead where it says, Let not shut in my soul, let not be fettered my shadow, let be opened the way for my soul and for my shadow, may it see the great God. Another important and apparently eternal part of man was the Ku which, judging from the meaning of the word, may be defined as shining or translucent. It is an intangible casing or covering of the body which is frequently depicted in the form of a mummy. For want of a better word, the Ku has often been translated into the shining one. In other cases, it could very well be called the spirit. The pyramid texts show us that the Ku the uh, Kus of the gods, so the spirits of the gods, lived in heaven and went towards the spirit of a man as soon as uh, the prayers said over the dead body enabled them to do so. And that, to me, was fascinating because it does show that the prayers and spiritual practices of those left living are a very important aspect in what happens to both the gods, and the deceased individual after death. Um, so, yet another part of man was supposed to exist in heaven, um, to which the Egyptians gave the name Sekum. 
The word has been rendered by power or form, but it is not easy to find an accurate representation of what the Egyptians would have meant by this. So, um, again, that's very interesting because it, it does say that a part of man, a part of the human, um, even though they are here on earth, a uh, part of them does still reside in heaven, exists in heaven. So, um, as you can see, the whole of man consisted of a natural body, a spiritual body, a heart, a double, a soul, a shadow, an intangible ethereal casing or spirit, a form, and a name. So that's a lot. So let me see. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine parts to the individual. And all of these, however, bound together inseparably. And, and that the welfare of any single one of them concerned the welfare for all. So the, the individual during its existence in life and in the afterlife needs, we, needs to really uh, take care of all parts of itself uh, or else the, the rest of them would perish along with it. For the well-being of the spiritual parts, it was necessary to preserve from decay the natural body. And certain passages in the pyramid texts seem to show that a belief in the resurrection of the, of the natural body existed in the earliest dynasties. So again, um, they kind of go back and forth as to whether the physical body is going to be resurrected or whether it, it decays, but we do see from mummification, like if we're only going to be looking at the fact that they took uh, a long time, a lot of preparation, a lot of uh, different very intricate steps went into preserving a body through the form of mummification. If we only look at that, then uh, what points to the earliest dynasties, we do see the belief in the resurrection of a natural body. So how does all this relate to the world and the judgment tarot cards? We can quite quickly see that if we are looking at the fool's journey, uh, near the end of the journey, the judgment card in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck shows what looks like to be deceased individuals rising from their graves, awoken by an angel. And I believe that the image uh, in that deck corresponds quite well with the idea that the physical body itself is necessary uh, going forward after death, and we still don't have all the answers, really, as to why the Egyptians chose mummification. Um, it can also show the rising of Sahu, or the spiritual body, and of the Ka, or the double. We have all parts of man coming together to create one inseparable, inseparable being, and perhaps the rising of that is the remaining parts left behind by the soul, right? So we have the soul, spirit, heart, form, and shadow uh, that do remain after the physical body perishes. And so perhaps the rising of that is, um, is the rising of those parts, or perhaps it is all of it kind of coming together again in the afterlife, or when, when whatever was to happen, uh, with the resurrection of the physical body at the time of uh, that happening. So we still, really, there is a, there isn't a clear 
a path forward as to why this mummification was happening or what is supposed to happen after uh if if anything you know if if resurrection does happen so the angel itself right if we take away our idea of what an angel is and think of it as a form of divinity we could see a resemblance to the spiritual body greeting the spiritual bodies of the gods or the spiritual body of Osiris. So we could see the physical body or the different the different forms of the human body, the the soul, the spirit, etc., greeting divinity itself. Uh, there is something to be said for an image that shows us clearly what should be a decayed body laying dormant in a casket, suddenly rising again to the horn of divinity. So you, um, I suggest really meditating on all that was mentioned previously about the nine different parts of what makes up a, a human being to the Egyptians and really what you believe is being depicted in the judgment card itself. And finally, we have the world card. So this card is fascinating because it could be both at the end or at the beginning of the fool's journey. Um, depending on whether you look at it like the fool is returning to the world after reincarnation or that the fool has traveled through the many obstacles after death and finally reaches the afterlife that the Egyptians believed was a place for the souls of the righteous. The world card is a card that we will be revisiting in later episodes because there is so much to be discussed about it. But for this episode, I wanted to briefly share what the Egyptians believed to make up a human being and to show how the imagery of these two cards do relate to um, if you're looking at the fool's journey as the journey after death, right? Then the world card would show that all parts of the um, human being, if uh, taken care of properly, would be able to go to the righteous place or the afterlife which i which i personally feel like is depicted in the world card so um yeah hopefully this episode was uh a little easier to follow along than i think it may be but um i think it's quite interesting to look at the cards in this fashion so um i would love to know your thoughts on the tarot and how it relates and if you feel like any other cards relate um and we are going to be moving into the third episode we're still going to be going through a little more of the um, doctrine of eternal life and then in the next episodes we'll go through um what really happens you know after death and the journey to the afterlife and some of the spells that are in the Book of the Dead because those are kind of cool. Um, so, you can find me on YouTube under Whiskey Stevens or on any other platform like Instagram, TikTok, etc. under Deathly Tarot. That is Deathly Tarot. Um, or if you just type in Whiskey Stevens, you, you'll find me. So thank you so much for joining me for the second episode of Death, Dying, and Tarot podcast. I'd love to hear any feedback that you have, and I will see you again for the third episode. Uh, the podcast airs every other Wednesday, so I will see you again, uh, not next Wednesday, the Wednesday after that.